Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to take them and open them with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, for this morning's message and for our time together today. I do realize that probably this year, more so than any other year, it has seemed to be extremely long. If you'd agree, would you say amen? Amen. I have to confess that when people ask me about things of this year, there are times that I find myself getting lost in the dating of things because I feel like this year has been like the past five years or something like that. It has been such a unique and challenging year. And so we give all praise to the Lord that we have finally made it to December, the last month in what has been a challenging year for many. Amen? And so I, and there's a part of me, I, I, the other day I'd run some errands and I'd gotten home from, from work and I knew I was getting ready to have kind of a day off and some time with my family. And I went home and I sat down on the couch and I just found myself like, you know, sometimes you take a deep breath, but this was one of those moments where it was like several just, <sighs> let me try that again. You know, like just, just, it's like this moment to pause. And I kind of feel like this year, it's it getting to December and hopefully wrapping up the year, it's almost kind of like a collective sigh of relief, like, like we've made it, hallelujah. We weren't sure if we were going to, but we're here. This year, unlike any other year, at least that I've experienced in my life, has been a year filled with challenges and difficulties, conflicts and chaos, it seems like, in everywhere that we've turned. In fact, specifically, it has seemed throughout this season, that throughout this year, that it seems like every week or maybe even every month, we just heard more and more challenging, difficult, and bad news. In fact, I would say between June and August, I had never heard so many people say this to me in all my life, as between those months, people would say to me something like this, I just don't watch the news anymore. I don't even read the paper anymore. I don't even read the headlines anymore. Like I don't even turn on the TV anymore because they were just so fed up with all the bad and discouraging, difficult news. For example, we put together kind of a little bit of a roll call of some of the things that we've walked through this year with the headlines. In January, the headline was, the impeachment process begins. Seems like 10 years ago, doesn't it? But that was in January. In February, the headline was, Trump bans travel from China and other nations, and it was a big deal when he did so. In March, the headline was, March Madness canceled. And all the basketball fans, UVA fans greet. In March, again, the headline was, the U.S. prepares for possible coronavirus. In March, again, the headline was, government imposes mandatory restrictions. In March, the final headline was, coronavirus suspected in New York. Oh, hindsight's 2020, isn't it? In April, we learned the headline, all non-essential businesses are closed. In May, the headline was, millions in U.S. will die by year end. In June, the big news at the moment were riots in major U.S. cities. In July, we were assured the summer heat will end the spread of COVID-19. In August, the headline Oops, we were wrong. September, the headline, Hunter Biden's laptop have surfaced from out of nowhere. In October, the big news of the month, the president bullied Biden in most watched debate. Big news at the time. In November, Biden wins the U.S. presidential election 
maybe. And finally, December, we have the COVID Christmas catastrophe. Actually, I made that one up. You can tell because it's alliterated. But the bottom line is this. We've had some bad news. Would you agree? I mean, what, what a challenging year with chaos and conflict. It seems like everywhere we turn. And throughout the course of this year, there are people who've been sick. There are people right now at home who are sick. There are people right now in the hospital literally fighting for their life and going through all sorts of hardship. I learned about a brother in Christ who, who visited here just last year and from Staten Island, New York. He's fighting for his life right now in a Staten Island hospital. It's been a real deal. There are some in the midst of it all. They've lost jobs. There's financial uncertainties. They're wondering how they're going to pay their bills at the end of the month. Kids are home from school, and, and they thought they would love that until they, they did that, and now they're not so sure anymore. Even in the context of the church, never in the history, at least, at least never at least in my life, have there been so much conflict and challenges and sensitivities and in the context of our homes and our marriages and our community, even in the church at times, there's division and there's differences of opinions and we're kind of all over the spectrum. Everybody has a million opinions and we're not afraid to share it on social media. <laughs> it has been a challenging year, even in the context of ministry. Tom Rainer's recent statistics literally show that over 50% of pastors right now say they would quit if they could, but they don't have another plan. That's sobering. Over 90% of people in the same survey said they're not quitting, but they have at least entertained the fault. So Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that 2020 has been a difficult year. It's been filled with all sorts of bad news, but please find comfort in this. I did not come today to cause you to relive the misery of this year. I didn't come today to cause us to dwell on the challenges and leave you leaving here discouraged with, 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 with a hopelessness because there's no answer. The bottom line is I came today to tell you in the midst of it all, there's good news. In the midst of a pandemic, in the, midst of, in the midst of a challenging year, in the midst of financial uncertainty, in the midst of political unrest, I'm here to tell you there is good news. And it's not, doesn't have anything to do with a vaccine. Doesn't have anything to do with an economy. Doesn't have anything to do with a presidential candidate or party. Doesn't have anything to do with the future of our country. It has every son. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at this series entitled, There's Good News. And I believe God wants us to end this crazy, chaotic, confusing year on this promise. God has forever settled in eternity the good news of his son. And it is good news for us today. I want you to look with me beginning in Isaiah chapter 9 as we begin to study this first focus of good news, and that is this. There is good news of a child. In the midst of our dark and broken and fallen world, God wants us to hear today a message that was delivered 700 years before the birth of Christ. It is good news of a child. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Isaiah chapter nine, listen to the words that God speaks through his prophet 700 years before the birth of Christ. It says this, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Listen to this statement, verse two. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle turmoil and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Those are terminologies that point to a victory that will be won. Listen to verse six. Where do we find this victory? Here's where we find it. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Good news of a child. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning and I thank you for the time that we've gathered here today and I thank you for the freedom that we have to do so. God, I pray that the wonder of that good news that you spoke so many years ago would still speak to our hearts and lives today. Help us personally to understand why it was good news and help us personally to receive it by faith I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Good news of a child. You know, the fact of the matter is this morning is that when you live in a culture where we are inundated and bombarded with news, it's sometimes difficult to figure out what's the main headline in the midst of it all. I was reminded this week of how, frankly, how slow the news cycle was in our community As I turned on the television to watch the news the other day, frankly, I recorded every single night to kind of know what's going on in our community and in the world around us. And I was going back and watching the news and I quickly realized it was a slow news day because it seemed like the headline story was about a kind older gentleman in our community who had lost his beloved furry pet, his little dog. But the good news is I want you to be encouraged. He found his dog yesterday and all is well in their household. I was watching that and frankly, it was hard to figure out what the headline was because there were many distractions and other personal stories that were meant to kind of connect to the heartstrings. The fact is, is that in a day when we're filled with so much information, it's easy for us to lose sight of the good news. I'm reminded in history of the illustration of Orville and Wilbur Wright as the story goes, on December the 17th, 1903, something significant had happened. They had been in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina for almost two months at that time, and they had been working to get their flyer off of the ground. And there was all sorts of unknown wonders about whether the boys are going to make it home for Christmas. And and so finally, December 17th, 1903 came along. They finished the final preparations for their flyer. And after several days of experiment and several days of trying, they finally accomplished it. They got their flyer off of the ground. And in excitement, Wilbur rushed to the local telegraph office and he sent the following message to his hometown and to his family. Here's what he said. We have flown for 12 seconds. What a flight, folks. We have flown for 12 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas. 
And this was incredible news. There was so much excitement. The, the experiment, the, the development, the discovery, all of this is amazing. Man had flown for 12 seconds, but they had flown nonetheless. And so their sister, having received the telegraph, rushed to the local hometown newspaper in great excitement and showed the editor the telegraph and said, tell everybody, put it in the paper. They're going to be so excited. December the 7th, I'm sorry, December the 19th, here's what the editor published in the local hometown paper. And I quote, Wright brothers will be home for Christmas. In other words, there was excitement in the local hometown. The boys are coming home for Christmas. But it wasn't until two days later that other papers in the area picked up the story that man had flown and what an invention this would be for mankind. In other words, it's easy for us to miss the good news when we're distracted by all the other news. I wonder this morning in our life, if we are truly accepting and embracing the good news of Jesus when it's, we're distracted by all the other news and all the other voices and all the other influences in our life today. In Isaiah, the Bible tells us about this good news of a child. Maybe you're sitting there this, wonder, this morning wondering, what in the world does Isaiah have to do with the birth of Christ? Isaiah was a prophet of God living 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Why in the world are we studying what this guy said 700 years before the birth of Christ if it doesn't really have to do so much with Christmas? But please understand this. In the Old Testament, there are 320 prophecies about a child that was to come who would be a Messiah, who would be a Savior. 320 Old Testament prophecies, these are statements from the messengers of God for telling a future event when a child would come to be born. Isaiah, interestingly enough, is the prophet who speaks about the coming Messiah more than any others. Now, please understand when Isaiah speaks these words of prophecy, he's not living in an easy day. In fact, this morning, if we were to tell Isaiah the headlines of our day, if Isaiah could come here and sit on a stool and we could all tell him about 2020 and COVID and politics and all the crazy of the year, I'm not saying he would laugh at us, but he would kind of snarl a little bit and he would say, I've been there, done that and got the t-shirt and you don't have anything on me. Isaiah lived in what the Bible simply calls a dark day. But plagues, Isaiah knew all about it. Thousands and thousands of people were killed. Famines, Isaiah knew all about it. Political crazy and unrest, Isaiah knew all about it. Uh, 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 treaties being made with enemies and backdoor deals that the common people didn't really know about, Isaiah knew all about it. Wicked leaders in high places of influence, Isaiah knew all about it. Listen, the people of God compromising and not doing what God called them to do, Isaiah knew all about it. In fact, in that day, Isaiah looked at the people of God and he warned them because the Bible tells us and history tells us that the Assyrian people were like the leading people of the day. They led by power and they led by force and they were a cruel and evil people. And the Bible tells us that God's people began to intermingle with the Assyrian people. And as a result of that, many of God's people gave their daughters to be married to the Assyrian men, directly forbidden by God and his word. Not only that, but they began to take some of the worship of the Assyrians and they began to take in these false gods and they began to worship other gods. And then to top it all off, 
King Ahaz, the Jewish leader at that time, Isaiah went to him and said, don't make a deal with these people. Don't make a treaty with these people. These people mean harm against us. These people have, and and you could even go back and study the Assyrian army and study how they dealt with children and specifically even with the unborn. And you can get a great picture of frankly how dark that world was in that time. And Isaiah said, God says, don't do it. But Ahaz went ahead and did it anyway. He compromised. And it's in that dark day that God raises up this prophet named Isaiah really with two messages. The first message was a message of judgment. Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and 10 is basically God speaking through Isaiah and saying this, because of your disobedience, God's judgment is coming. Because you have been unfaithful to the covenant that you have with God, you're gonna experience the consequences of your actions. In fact, Isaiah even says in Isaiah chapter 10, God is raising up this pagan nation and this pagan army to bring judgment upon his own people. The Jews thought they were fine because they were Jewish. Little did they realize they had been unfaithful to God. That's the first message. But the second message is the message that we're focused on today. And that is this. Isaiah looked in that dark and gloomy world He looked in that land filled with famine and plagues and compromises and confusion and uncertainty about the future. And here's what he said. But there is hope. Yes, there is judgment. And yes, there are consequences. And yes, there is hardship. But I want you to know there is hope. There is hope because God the Father has promised something for you. He has promised a child who's going to come and rescue and save and redeem his people. In the midst of the dark time, there was good news and that good news changed everything. My hope and prayer today is that the good news that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ will be good news to you today and that you'll accept it by faith and walk in it. Three things I want you to see about Isaiah chapter nine and the promise of this good news of a child. The first thing I want you to see is this. It is the gift of Christ. It is the gift of Christ. How in the world could people rejoice when their land was filled with darkness? How could they rejoice when their future was uncertain? How could they rejoice when it felt like they were experiencing and were the judgment of God? How could they rejoice when they didn't know who their leader was or what deals were being made behind the scenes? How could you rejoice in that moment? Well, here's how. God tells us that he is giving a gift in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Notice with me in verse six, a few things about this gift of Christ. First, it tells us a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. Those two little phrases tell us something interesting about Christ. It helps us to see it from a human perspective and then from a heavenly perspective. From a human perspective. The Bible tells us simply that Jesus was the child that was to be born to us. Many people don't understand necessarily the significance and the value of a simple child. But did you know in the context of history, there are many times when God had a plan or a purpose and his provision for fulfilling that purpose was directly expressed by sending a child. God had called Abraham the father of many nations, but in order to bless those many nations, God had to give Abraham a child, a child by the name of Isaac. God heard his people and Israel, uh, Israelites as they were in Egypt and they were enslaved to the Egyptians and they cried out for mercy and they cried out for a deliverer and God answered by sending a child by the name of Moses. 
God was going to send his Messiah, his Savior of the world, to make a way for all to be saved. But in order to do that, there needed to be a forerunner that was going to go before him to prepare the way, to be a voice crying in the wilderness. So what did God do? God sent a child by the name of John. We simply know him today as John the Baptist. In other words, every child is a gift from God, and God has a plan for every single child. Doesn't matter how it all came about. Doesn't matter the story, how it's unfolding. God has a plan for every child. As, as little Sammy Brown, Pastor Scott Miss Lindsay's little boy, is walking around telling everybody that will hear him right now, God has a plan for me. God has a plan for every child. We see that in the person of Jesus Christ. He is literally the child that will be born to us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is not the first time that Isaiah has prophesied a child. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. David prophesied of this child, Psalm 89, verses 24 and 27. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Micah chapter 5, listen to what the prophet Micah prophesied. He said, as for you, O little Bethlehem of Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel." His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Continue on with the text. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Listen to this statement. This one will be our peace. In other words, from human's perspective. Jesus is simply the child to be born of us. And we understand the 320 prophecies of the Old Testament of a virgin who would conceive. She would be, of course, there to Joseph. They would be taken to Bethlehem. He would be born and he would be laid in a manger. The, the people will come, the wise, to, to come and worship him. All of these are pointing to the simplicity of a child. Who would have ever thought that God would send his Savior and his Deliverer in the humble, simple, innocent form of a child. But that was God's plan. How could one so weak and so small, so helpless, and so dependent on others actually be the savior of the world? But God in his wisdom shows us that he has a plan for all of that. From human's perspective, he's the child to be born. From heaven's perspective, notice what he is. He is the son that is given. He is a son that will be given to us. From human's perspective, we look at it like, wow, this baby came and, and he left the throne of heaven and he was born there and he was laid in a manger and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and all these different things. But from God's perspective, God understood that this child was not just born to us. He was literally a son, a gift that was given and offered for all mankind. This simple statement is a reminder to us that Jesus is as he says he is. He is the only begotten son of God. We get a glimpse of that in Matthew chapter four as Jesus, of course, is beginning his earthly ministry and he is baptized. And as he comes out of the water, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove and God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mark chapter nine, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible makes it clear that there in that moment, God the Father speaks and he says again, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He's confirming that this child that grew to be a man was indeed the son of God. 
He's the son given to us. All of us, I would imagine, in some way, shape, or form, we understand that Christmas is greatly recognized by the giving of gifts. Perhaps even now, you're wondering and pondering perhaps what you will give to someone. And we understand the idea of presence and, and a gift. It's not something that's been earned or it's not something deserved. It's out of love and grace and compassion and kindness and generosity. We want to give and we want to bless. Well, God in his love and his grace, his generosity, he's brought a blessing and that is a blessing by giving of his son. The Bible tells us in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting eternal life. But then it tells us the reason why he gave his son. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge or to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I'm reminded that Jesus is not only the gift that was given, but Jesus also willingly gave himself. In fact, Jesus tells us that he, the son of man, he didn't come to, to be served, but instead he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the context of Christmas, we're often thinking of thoughtful and creative, maybe generous and sacrificial personal gifts that we can give. But rarely, if ever, do we think of actually giving ourselves. Jesus came to this earth knowing his purpose, knowing his mission, knowing his reason, and that was ultimately to lay down his life and to give himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice. Not that we had earned or deserve it, but he willingly gave it in grace and in mercy. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, this wonderful statement, Christ also loved you and he gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Titus 2, chapter 2, verse 14 says it this way. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, every sin, every wrong, every lie, every impure thought, every covetous moment. He gave himself for us as a sacrifice in our place, willingly laying down his life. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus gave himself Throughout the course of your life, you may receive many gifts, but there will never be a greater gift than the gift that all God has already given by giving us his son who willingly came and willingly gave his life so that we might experience the gift of eternal life. Today, there is good news of a child because of the gift of Christ. But Isaiah goes a step further, doesn't he, in Isaiah chapter nine? And that is, I want us to see the greatness of Christ. See, the fact of the matter is, is that we could understand that a child is born in fact, even in this 2020 pandemic crazy year, there have been many children who've been born. Some of them have interesting names to kind of commemorate the year that it has been. But, but I imagine today if we went to the hospital, granted they wouldn't let us in because of COVID, but if we could go inside, we would see that numerous children have been born even this week. But from God's perspective, God says, listen, I want you to understand that there's something unique about this child. Yes, he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. Yes, he's the child that was born, but he is the son of God that was given. And in that, Isaiah says, now let me tell you about his name. Now we understand the child is named Jesus. The name Jesus literally means the Lord is our salvation or God, our savior. But in this moment, in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, he tells us something about his names. Now these names here are descriptions of his character. They're descriptions of his nature. They're descriptions of really who he is and what he does. And today, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you understand this is who he is and what he does in our life. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're missing all these things and more from your life. 
In describing these names, he's telling us what Christ does in the life of those who accept him by faith. Notice what they are. He says, now listen to these names. They are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Notice the first one, Wonderful Counselor. Now, some translations have this as two different words, wonderful, comma, counselor. But I want you to know in the original manuscripts, there were no commas, okay? In fact, in the original languages, it seems like wonderful is more an adjective to describe that Jesus alone is the wonderful counselor. It means that he has all wisdom and has all authority. It means that he is the authoritative one. Now, I believe these words are largely describing how he will be known fully when Jesus comes again the second time. And yet at the same time, when he came the first time, we see glimpses of these things. For example, maybe you remember the passage of scripture in Luke chapter two, as Mary and Joseph took Jesus and many others are with them, they went to the temple. We get the picture there that Jesus was a young boy at that time, most likely around the age of 12 years old. They go to the temple, they go there to worship, they go there to pray, and then Mary and Joseph leave. They with their caravan get some distance away when suddenly they realize Jesus is missing. Now, I want to encourage you, parents, please don't ever leave your children at church alone, all right? Now, it's a safe place. We'll take good care of them. But I want you to know, when the church building's dark, it's a creepy place, all right? They left Jesus behind and they rush finally back to Jerusalem and they're looking for Jesus and they find him there in the temple. And when they find him, here's what they find. They find that Jesus, the boy, he is astounding. The scribes and the scholars, they cannot believe the wisdom with which he is speaking. In Luke chapter two, verse 47 says this, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. How did Jesus, this boy, have all this understanding and all the answers? How did he have all this wisdom? How did he have all this knowledge? Here's how. He was the word of God in flesh. It was all about him. All the prophecies of the Old Testament were inspired and directed by God. He was the fulfillment of all these things. In other words, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is all-knowing and he has all wisdom. Please understand this morning, you can seek counsel and direction from a friend. You can seek counsel and direction from a life coach. You can seek counsel and direction from a licensed counselor and even a pastor. But there is only one wonderful counselor. Thank God for those that can advise us and those that can help us and those that can instruct us and counsel us along the way. And if you're a counselor, I thank God for you if you're directing people in the ways of God. But there is only one wonderful counselor and there are no other sufficient substitutes. He is the wonderful counselor. Colossians chapter two says it this way. In Christ are hidden, listen to this statement, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. You want to grow in wisdom? Want to grow in knowledge? All of it is fully found in Jesus Christ. He is the wonderful counselor. But this truth brings us to a point of action, doesn't it? Yes, he's the wonderful counselor. Yes, he has all wisdom and all authority. But please understand this morning. With that, there comes a responsibility that you and I must ask for wisdom. We must seek his counsel. We must seek his direction. James chapter one says it this way, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now I'm thankful for Christian counselors that can come alongside of us and point us in the ways of God and the ways we should go in our life. But the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
We must simply ask. Jesus is a wonderful counselor, and as we ask him for wisdom, he will guide us and direct us into the paths that he has for our life. In our house, we have been very, very intentional to try to teach our children about the importance of seeking God for wisdom and about the importance of asking God for direction. The fact of the matter is, in our lives, it can be very easy for us to get so distracted and caught up pursuing our things that we fail to take time to ask God for direction. Many of us blame God for outcomes of decisions that we never took time to seek God for in the first place or that we weren't willing to follow. But in our house, we've done a, been very intentional with our kids to try to teach the importance of asking God for direction. I'll never forget, Mac was, I'm gonna guess, our oldest son, he is probably about five years old. And one day we had had some time together and we had watched on a Saturday an Alabama football game. I know that's hard to believe, but that's what we do on Saturday afternoons in the fall. And uh, so we had watched another victory that day and it was bedtime and Mac was literally going to bed and he had this little Alabama football that he held close by and I went to tuck him into bed and he said, Daddy, and I said, yeah. He said, Daddy, when I grow up, I wanna be the quarterback for Alabama. That's it. I, that, I want to be the quarterback for Alabama. And I said, buddy, that's awesome, man. That's incredible. You have no idea how much it blesses me to hear you say that, you know. Never been so proud as a tear falls from my cheek. And, but I remember, I've been five years old, I remember saying to him, but, but, but that sounds great, son. I'd love that. But you know, there's one thing you got to do first. What's that? The first thing you got to do is you got to ask God, what does God want you to do? He looked at me. You, you gotta, as you get older, you, God has a plan for your life. And so you need to pray and you need to seek him and ask God, God, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want me to do? And I looked back at him and I said, buddy, that's an awesome dream. I hope that comes true for you. That'd be so cool. But, but what if God doesn't want you to be the quarterback for Alabama? Max started thinking about it. A few seconds later, his lip began to quiver. And he looked back up to me. He said, but daddy, I don't want to be the quarterback for Virginia Tech. I don't want to be the quarterback for Virginia Tech. We lived in Christiansburg at the time. We were like 10 minutes from Blacksburg. His little five-year-old brain, the only thing he could determine is if God didn't want him to be the quarterback for Alabama, it must mean that God wants him to be a Hokie and he wasn't happy with it. <laughs> Spencer, what are you saying? I'm saying that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. So we just gotta be intentional to know him and to walk with him and to seek him. Secondly, he is mighty God. He's wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. Please understand, we get caught up in the cuteness of the idea of that silent night and of, and of, of Mary holding the baby and we sing away in a manger and all these different things. But please don't misunderstand this. The child in the manger is Emmanuel, God with us. When the Bible says mighty God, that word mighty was a word that was used to describe only the warriors that were victorious. That didn't mean they didn't have setbacks. It didn't mean they didn't have hardships, but it was only used to describe those generals who had absolute authority and victory over the enemy. The Bible's showing us that even as a baby in a manger, he came to dwell among us as almighty God in flesh. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. And that's why in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus would say loud and clear as he talks about the ability to give everlasting and eternal life to those who believe, as he talks about the power that he has and literally the protection that he has to keep no one from being plucked from his hand, he makes this statement, this simple statement, I and the Father are one. John chapter seven, verse 11, 12, again, we see it again. I and the Father are one. That's why Paul would say in Titus chapter two, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great, listen, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was not only just a babe in a manger, he was and is Almighty God. Jesus could speak the words and the lame could walk. Jesus could speak the words and the dumb could talk. He could speak the words and the blind could see. He could speak the words and the storms would cease. He would speak the words and all diseases were cured. He could speak the words and all defilements made pure. He could speak the words and all waves would obey. He could speak the words and even the dead would be raised. We get a glimpse of the fact that he is mighty God and that literally every affliction of man bowed and cowered at simply the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came as that simple child, yes, but never forget he was and is mighty God. Third, he is eternal or everlasting father. I prefer the word everlasting because in the original language, I think that's a more accurate translation. And what it's showing us is this, Jesus had no beginning. We like to think about what happened in Bethlehem. We like to talk about what happened when he was conceived in the Virgin Mary. But the Bible tells us that Jesus has been from the beginning, from, the very, from eternity past all the way to eternity future. Jesus is. He is everlasting, the Bible says. Even there in creation, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus was a part of that creation. In Colossians chapter 1, it tells us literally there's not anything in the world that's been made that he didn't make. It's all made by him. It's all sustained by him. And it's all for him. That's including you and I, you and I tonight, today. He is everlasting father. That terminology of father throws many people off. But in ancient times, the father of a nation, for example, was referring to someone who would be considered as a founder. And their role in the context of their nation or their culture or their community was that they were one who would both protect and provide for their children. In the same way, Jesus is our everlasting father. And the picture here is literally that this child to be born would be a father. 27 through 30 would expound upon that as you think about the protection and the care of this everlasting father. Jesus said it this way. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Listen to Jesus. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Even as a father loves his children and protects his children and cares for his children and lays down his life for his children, the Bible's showing us that Jesus in the same way is our everlasting Father who is looking out for us, caring for us, protecting us, and even our security in him. Fourth thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see in this name, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. And finally, the greatness of Christ stands out in this simple fact. He is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. Micah chapter five, verse two says it this, five verse five says it this way. This one will be our peace. This one will be our peace. Now, please understand when Micah made this statement, he was making an emphatic statement about this Christ child, this child that's born of a virgin that will be born in the city of Bethlehem, 320 prophecies of the Old Testament, all pointing to the same child. This one will be our peace. Now, 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 now think for just a moment. There are many people in life who will try to find peace in other situations and relationships. Many will get married in hopes of that spouse providing their peace. Many will look for a new friendship and hoping that that friendship will bring them to a place of 
peace. Many will look maybe for a a mentor or for a boss or a colleague, someone, and that they'll find peace in. But the Bible says this one will be our peace. Many will look for peace in experiences. Man, if I could just get this job, if I could just climb this corporate ladder, if I could just make this amount of money, if I could have just have this possession, then I'd really be at peace only to find that none of those things do. Why? Because there's only one source for peace. And his name is Jesus. When the Bible speaks of this peace, what it's literally speaking is the fact is you and I today can have peace with God. God made you. He has a plan for you. He cares for you. He loves you, but we bring something to that situation, frankly, that is anything but peaceful. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means that we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. We've all done things that are wrong. And the Bible says that sin is the great separator. Sin is the great divide. Sin is the great conflict. It's the great wall. It's the great boundary that separates us from God. The Bible says in our sinful nature, there's no way we can please God in and of ourselves. We are hopelessly lost. The divide is enormous. But the Bible says even when we had separated from God because of our sin, even when we were in that place of hopelessness and despair, God so loved us that he made a way for us to be rescued. He made a way for us to be saved. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Every lie I've ever told, every impure thought I've ever had, every covetous moment I've ever had, every single one of those sins, the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that literally he bore those sins on his shoulders and the wrath of God was poured out justly on those sins because that's what my sins deserved. The Bible says because Jesus bore our sin on the cross, he's made a way for us to have peace with God. Listen, you can look for every experience in the world. You can try to experience this and experience that, pursue this relationship, pursue that. But you will not have peace with God until you accept the Prince of Peace, the only one who is our peace, and his name is Jesus. And here's the good news. Jesus came so that you can have that peace. He offers it to you today. Like a gift that's extended saying you can be forgiven and you can be saved and you can know peace with God and you can have the peace of God in every circumstance and situation you face. He offers it as a gift if we only receive it by faith. He is the prince of peace. No wonder when Jesus was born and the angels appeared to the shepherd in the field that night, they declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. No wonder the apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, you were separated, you were divided, you've now been brought near by the blood of Christ and he is the key to having the peace, is our peace. He's the only way that we can be at peace with God and he is the key to having the peace of God in every circumstance we face. The final thing I want you to see and we'll close is this. The good news of this child is found in the fact that he is the gift that's been offered The good news in this child is that we see the greatness of Christ. He's not just a normal baby that's been born. No, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But I want you to see finally, the government of Christ. The government of Christ. You never, maybe you've never thought about it this way. You've never thought about the government of Christ and what this means and what it looks like. Please understand that 
Many Jews in that day were expecting the Messiah to come to be a king immediately. They expected him to be a military leader that was dominating the world and therefore he would rescue the Jewish people. They didn't realize that this king to come would come in the form of a humble child. It's interesting to note, though, that even the Magi in Matthew chapter 1, the wise men, when they came to Jerusalem, they came and asked the question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? These Gentile wise men understood that the king was coming as a child. Notice his government in Isaiah chapter 9. We're not going to spend a lot of time here because we're going to pick it up next week, Lord willing, with this thought and unpack a little bit more. Listen to the statement in verse 6 and verse 7. The government will rest on his shoulders. Verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Picture the scene for just a moment. Isaiah's living in a dark, hopeless, confused, discouraged world. The governments around them were completely corrupt. Their own government, they couldn't trust. There was all sorts of compromises, even amongst God's people. But 700 years before Jesus came, God speaks through Isaiah and said this, but let me tell you about another government. Let me tell you about another kingdom. Let me tell you about another king who is to come. Please understand this morning, the Bible tells that one day there's gonna be a second returning of Christ. Jesus is gonna come to this earth. And when he does, he's gonna establish his kingdom here on this earth and we will rule and reign with him. But please understand, even when he came the first time, he came to bring in about this kingdom. In Matthew chapter four, the Bible tells us about this incredible kingdom of God. Matthew chapter four, Jesus came to bring hope to the hopeless. Light to the darkness, life to the dead. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is baptized. He's beginning his earthly ministry and he speaks his first message of his earthly ministry. His first message was all of nine words. Anybody love a nine word sermon? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You know, man, 2020 has been long enough. Let's get this sermon over with, right? Nine word sermon. Listen to Jesus' first message. Here it is, nine words. Repent means to confess and turn from your sin. Repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know you can't see it right now. I know you don't see the streets of gold right now. I know you got questions about the future and what, I'm gonna look, what it's gonna look like when I return again and set up my kingdom on earth. But I want you to know God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, it is right here, it is at hand. Here's the key, you must believe and you must repent of your sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does Isaiah say? And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. No end. In other words, guess what? God's kingdom is still growing today. The kingdom of heaven is still being added to every single day. And it will continue and continue. In fact, his kingdom grows every single time someone looks to Jesus and accepts him personally 
as king and Lord of their life. Here's the key. Jesus said, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isaiah proclaimed this message to a world that was filled with all sorts of bad news. (laughs) But he said, I want you to know there's good news. There's a king who's coming and his kingdom will have no end. It will continue to give peace. This king is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. How will you know who he is? Here's how. He's the child that will be born to us. He's the son who is given to us. He's the child, according to Isaiah 7, verse 14, who will be born of a virgin and known as God with us. He's speaking of Jesus. And did you know today? Today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can. This one, Jesus, came to be your Prince of Peace. He came to be your Savior. He came so that you and I could be made right with God. And my hope and prayer is that this good news is not just news from the preacher, but it's news that you personally know and accept by faith. In Isaiah's day, he proclaimed the message. And the fact is, there were many who believed and experienced the joy, the blessing, and the peace that came along with looking forward to the Messiah. But frankly... There were many who rejected Isaiah's message. And the Bible tells us why. It was because they loved darkness rather than light. My hope and prayer today is there will be no one here who will reject this good news, but they will all embrace it by faith. And with that reception, be faithful to go share the good news to everyone we meet. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. Thank you for the promise of this child who would come, who would make a way for us to be saved. God, I pray that we would not hear about the way, turn a blind eye or a deaf ear, go our own way and reject the one that you have sent to save us. There were many in Isaiah's days who experienced severe judgment and that rejection was largely due to the fact that they rejected you. God, I pray that we would not be blind and we would not miss, we would not be distracted from the good news of Christ, but instead that we would receive it, receive him by faith as the King and as the Lord of our life. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you for allowing us the promise that we can know that heaven is our home. Thank you for the wonder of all wonders that you can bring us to peace with Jesus. You can bring us to peace with the Father. Thank you that through that, we can have peace with you in every circumstance and situation we face. What a joy. That is all dependent upon us receiving you by faith and turning from our sins. So God, I pray right now that we would do that. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.